0: Welcome to Calling It Out, the podcast dedicated to calling out the BS in your head and teaching you how to free yourself from an eating disorder or an eating distress. Throughout this podcast, we'll be looking at the way we think and how it impacts our behaviors. With each episode, we'll be teaching you how you can change your thinking in order to lead a freer life. I'll be your host, Jacqueline Campion. So my name is Jacqueline Campion and I'm an eating distress practitioner. I'm working in the area of recovery from an eating distress for nearly a decade. I would refer to eating disorders as eating distress and I'll go into more detail um, about that later on in the podcast. Why I wanted to create this podcast is that I wanted to... First and foremost, put out the message that full recovery from an eating disorder or an eating distress is possible. I'm working with clients on a daily basis, as I said, for nearly 10 years now, and too often I have people coming into my into my office, telling me how they've been told that they have to live with this, and um, that the furthest that they'll ever get in their recovery is to a place where they need to learn to cope and to manage it, and um, to to live with an eating and distress or an eating and disorder, as you might be more familiar um, with that term. To, to live with an eating and distress is is not living at all. So through this podcast, what I want to do is is give you basically teach you how to be fully free from this but as I said the most important message is that full recovery is possible. Most people with an eating disorder and eating distress we all think we're the special snowflake we all think we're going to be the exception to the rule and that we're going to be the one that it's probably not going to work for us. Recovery from an eating distress is nothing to do with competency and it's about commitment and consistency. Recovery is very simple and very practical. Now when I say recovery is simple, that doesn't mean that it's easy. Of course there are challenges involved because ultimately um the eating distress as I would refer to it's it's like a condition. It's a condition of a mi- of the mind. There's a school of opinion that would refer to eating distress as almost like a cancer of the mind. So there is if you could even visualize um like it's like a bully in your head. Um I'll go into more details about what exactly an eating distress is, but At the moment, um, what is the podcast about? It's about learning how to make life easier for yourself and how to free yourself from the not good enough syndrome. So what exactly is an eating distress? So you might have heard me using that term instead of eating disorder and, and wondering what I'm talking about. So. To, to put a long story short, eating disorder is the is the diagnostic that you'll find in a psychiatric manual. And um, there are there's a few behaviors that is mentioned in the psychiatric manual. And um, you've got you know anorexia, bulimia. It used to be um, ednos. It's now OSFED. Um, so kind of basically non-specified eating disorders. And then you've got binge eating disorder. So these are in the psychiatric manual what they do is that they label a behavior and now the term eating disorder anybody who's experiencing an eating disorder is not going to have a very high self-esteem because when you're practicing a self-destructive self harming behavior it gives us information that self-esteem is going to be is going to be quite low now when you've got low self-esteem and somebody tells you that you're disordered it's not really great for um, for your confidence level. So disorder just talks about the behaviors. And again, it's kind of the case, like if someone had a broken arm, you wouldn't call them broken armor. It's it's Jacqueline who is suffering from a broken arm. If someone had the flu, you wouldn't say, oh, there's flu. Or it's, it's Jacqueline who is recovering from the flu. So eating the stress is basically it's why we refer to it as eating the stress is that it's the distress that eats the person. Unfortunately with eating disorders we get so caught up and distracted with the destructive behaviors with the body with nutrition with exercise and we get um, very kind of caught up and focused on on the food now the behaviors it's kind of like a case of it's not what the Titanic saw that sunk the ship it's it's everything else underneath it so the behaviors is the tip of that iceberg. Underneath those behaviours you have thinking and feeling. So your behaviors, whatever they may be, emotional overeating, over exercising, restriction, purging, night eating, um, chewing and spitting, and there's such a there's such a long list. I mean, when you when you haven't eating distressed there's you could be very creative in, in, in finding ways to, to hurt yourself. So the, the psychiatric manuals are very limited in terms of the behaviours that they tell us about. Um, so ultimately, the, the behaviour is just information. It's like an alarm going off. And it's. The behaviours come from feelings and your feelings are coming from your thinking. So. To focus on a behavior, it's it's kind of put it like this. If you're driving in a car and the petrol light goes off um, and starts kind of flashing as, and to give you a signal to to refuel the, the tank. And for whatever reason, you choose to ignore that signal um, and it's, it's kind of annoying. So you want to knock it off. So let's say, for example, you took a little hammer. You, you knocked off the light and you decided to, to keep driving and to keep going. So what, what's going to happen in a situation like that is that eventually the car is going to break down. It's going to stop. And that's basically as how effective it is to just tackle the behavior when you're trying to recover from an eating distress so of course, recovering from any distress does involve letting go of all destructive behaviors. And ultimately you'll replace your destructive behaviors um, with more constructive behaviors. The behaviors are not the problem. They're the solution to an underlying issue. And that underlying issue, as I mentioned earlier on, about with the feelings and the thinking. So One thing is about the behaviours are used to numb out. Okay, so they're used as a coping mechanism. Not a lot of people are always very excited to start exploring feelings and talking about it and things like that. So it's it's a coping mechanism to numb out those uncomfortable feelings which are ultimately coming from your thoughts. So you're you've they say the average person has about 60,000 thoughts a day. I personally think someone with uh, eating distress you could say they have at least up to 80,000 thoughts a day. There's a there's a lot of thinking very fast to a point where it, it, it's such fast it's such fast thinking that you're not even aware of what's going on. Um and I'll go more into the details with that about how important um awareness is. Of your thinking and the language that you use, how important that is when you're recovering from an eating distress. So, ultimately, what an eating distress is, another way that I would kind of refer to it, it's it's a it's a not good enough syndrome. So it's it's formed on a subconscious um, level. Okay, so some some people they they're born with natural boundaries and the ability to filter out, um, you know, very kind of limiting. Um, self-limiting thoughts they're able to filter out kind of negative like information even if someone says something they're, they're not they're not um absorbing so much negativity as somebody would without that kind of boundary so on a subconscious level and um, when you're experiencing eating distress it's like there's a lot of these red thoughts So I would refer a lot to kind of red and green thoughts so the red thoughts are referring to those conditioned thoughts okay they're there it's conditioning coming from the outside it's like a kind of it's a uh, yeah, it's like a, it's like a marketing message that you you absorb from the outside. So some people have uh, very early memories and um, I myself from a very young age, I, I don't ever remember feeling, you know, good enough in, in the first probably, I don't know, probably realistically the first 19 years. I never remember even as, as, uh, you know, in school feeling good enough. I always had that sense that I was different. I didn't belong. I wasn't good enough. And I was on the outside kind of looking in. And so on a on a subconscious level, what's happening is that there's a lot of this kind of red thinking and. And even for example, just kind of listening to the news, it, when you have that super sensitivity, that hypersensitivity, not not everybody experience and eating distress is exactly the same, but there is that um underlying um factor that we we all often have in common is that that hypersensitivity. So you're like a sponge. Um, and there's no boundary there to filter things out. So you start getting a lot of messages on a subconscious level and you start kind of creating this story about the world, about yourself. And then all these kind of thoughts like not good enough and um, I don't belong, I don't fit in, almost even kind of like a red Velcro on a subconscious level collecting a lot of and negative comments and manipulating them to make them about you because when you don't feel good enough you can often experience a negative narcissism so there is a case of like i used to often think everything was about me you know if somebody was in a in maybe a a bad mood or something was up with them because there was so much not good enough syndrome happening a on a kind of subconscious level that i wasn't even aware of i always thought it had something to do with me they're annoyed at me this is about me so it is a little bit of that kind of negative narcissism. So on a subconscious level, um, your conscious mind can only take about seven plus or minus two pieces of information at one time. Your subconscious level is, is taking in so much more, way more than we're even aware. You know, for example, if I was to ask you the color of your pajamas, you've thought of a color, you weren't thinking this morning, okay, I'm going to remember the color of my pajamas because I'm going to pop on a podcast and some, you know, Crazy lady's gonna ask me the color of my pajamas. I mean, like you'd hardly click on if you thought those are the questions that I was asking. So that gives us information that you didn't consciously say I'm gonna remember this, but you're absorbing that information. So on a daily, ma- on a daily basis, we're getting so many messages, and as well, even in terms of marketing and advertising, the news, you know, propaganda, sensationalism, things like this. It's an impacting some of us more than others. So that hypersensitivity, your senses is it's give. Some of us are perceiving the world, um, in in a different way through different lenses. So the way I would describe it is that I was seeing the world and myself through this kind of dark tinted glasses. So eating distress is it's kind of like on on a on a subconscious level you're in emotional debt there's a lot of those red thoughts and you want to get a lot more green because if you want to get rid of self-destructive behaviors you have to you have to use a different language your lingo needs to change you need to become more aware of your of your thinking so why is language so important in the recovery from an eating distress so how how um how we ref- would refer to it is it's um it's a psycholinguistic motivational model. So Marie Campion thought of this um this model and this theory that describes. I mean to kind of to to kind of hold back on the on the jargon with the psycholinguistic motivational model. Ultimately, it's a case of watching your lingo. So your thoughts are impacting your behaviors, and if you we need to become much more aware of that. So I often like to simplify kind of the recovery and even just kind of look at um a simple kind of formula of awareness, acceptance, action. So first we have to become aware of the lingo. When you're experiencing an eating distress, you speak the language of destruction. So a lot of these red thoughts, conditioned thoughts, they're going to sound like there's gonna be a lot of can't, have to, I should, I need to, I wish if only so these words um they're they're very heavy so they have an impact into how you're feeling and one thing is about because of all this is happening on a subconscious level a lot of people aren't even aware about how horribly they're speaking to themselves and how much pressure they're putting on themselves and how strong the bully is they're not often aware that's even happening um because as I said, it's on a subconscious level. So awareness is, is that like if how I refer to the eating distress as well is that it's like a Hitler in in the head, really. So for me and my experience, I had a Hitler in the head and I was putting my body through a concentration camp. So when when you're recognizing, you know, if you want to take down a regime, you have to become aware first that there is Um, a regime there so a lot of people as well they often kind of say oh I'm not that bad or I'm not that sick that was a huge one that kind of kept me from recovery for quite a long time um, is that I never thought I was sick enough because I didn't always look like the kind of pictures you would see in the magazines and newspapers that kind of sensationalized those that were experiencing eating distress so One thing is about just kind of become aware of your lingo and just a very practical tool in in order to do that is just kind of to practice even just general journaling every day and just get curious about how your lingo is, how your self-talk is. Are you speaking to yourself like a best friend? The language is so important because ultimately it's the language that will give you information if, if you're free or not. So people often ask me, how do you know when somebody is fully free now? how you know when somebody's fully free it's it's because of the language that they use i'm still fluent in self destructive language i still know how to practice self harm and behaviors but the difference now is that there's 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 no value at all in self destruction because the story that i tell myself about myself now has changed so Okay. yes, there can sometimes be a fleeting thought of maybe a little bit of self-doubt. But the difference is now is that I recognize that I'm aware of the self-doubting thoughts. I'm aware if there's a little bit like, okay, you want to do a podcast. Well, you mightn't, you know, what if nobody listens? What, What if it's actually kind of, what if it's crap? That could just be a fleeting thought. And one thing I've learned through the journey of recovery is one, the more aware that you are of your thinking Um and you can actually then you can practice I- ignoring it and filtering out filtering it out you know it is a case of like thoughts or like people if you ignore them for long enough they go away now that's that doesn't work at the beginning because we have to become aware we need to learn if you want to learn about recovery you need to learn about the condition and the condition is that bully in the head that's telling you not good enough why language is so important is that ultimately what you're going to be doing is you're going to be translating the language of destruction and um, to the language of freedom so you could even kind of see it as like friedish so for example even with sometimes even with nutrition like a lot of when you're experiencing an eating distress you know and you can go to a restaurant you're looking at a menu or you're getting up in the morning it's often a case of what should I have and what would be the best thing to have and then you can be calculating what you had last week and what you had earlier on that day and how many slices of x y and z so when you're doing all that when you're caught in your head you you, you're not in the present moment and I mean the way I would describe it is that I often just kind of left I left the room when I was going through those kind of thoughts I mean my my whole presence changed because I went into that condition thinking what should I have when you're fully free you start becoming aware of that and kind of going okay if I was fully free if I was practicing being a best friend to myself you know I'd probably be more likely to say well what would you like what are my choices here one thing is is that when you're in condition thinking there's never really any choices there's a there's a have to and a should and a pressure but ultimately, freedom is a choice. Every single day we're making decisions, we're making choices. And it's about getting curious about whether I'm making this choice out of fear or I'm making this choice out of love. One simple tool I find very helpful of how to even figure that out of whether like is this is this my thinking or is this condition thinking is just even asking the question, does this thought make me feel heavier light? And if it makes you feel heavy, it's coming from the outside. That is conditioned thinking. Recovery needs to start with separating yourself from condition. You are not your behaviours. You are not your thinking. There's nothing wrong with you. You just think there is. And that's where a lot of these behaviors and issues can come from is the fact that we think there's something wrong with us and for so long I had just built a smear campaign against myself and my subconscious mind your subconscious mind is a slave to you so when I was telling my subconscious mind how I wasn't good enough and I needed to do more or I should have done something differently or my subconscious mind the way that it works and everybody's subconscious mind it goes off and it gets you all of that evidence to prove that you're right so ultimately what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to learn and through this podcast what I hope to teach is that you're going to learn how the mind works how the condition works so you can learn to be two or three steps ahead of it so I always kind of like to say ex, ex-robbers make very good detectives. So there's a lot of things that you often don't find in, in 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 books because I'm I mean, there's some there's a lot of stuff in when you're recovering from an eating distress or an eating disorder, there's so much shame and judgment that you don't want to tell. Anybody, the way that you maybe think or um, the things that you've practiced, as I mentioned earlier on, there's so many self-destructive behaviors that carry such shame. I mean, just for example, emotional overeating. I've I've practiced a lot of self-harming behaviors, but emotional overeating for me was probably one of the most shameful. So really, even through this podcast, I really want to shine a light on the understanding of recovery and to understand recovery, we need to understand the condition and stop identifying people with their behaviors and and for ourselves stop identifying with our behaviors behaviors are information you're not your thinking you're the observer and you're the awareness so starting today practice getting curious how is my thinking how is my self-talk if you even maybe write down you know on one side of the page split page in half and kind of like can't have to should need to you know practice catching them and even on the opposite side of the page okay write what what is the opposite to that so instead of should could instead of you know um you know okay what should I have what would I like to have what could I do here what are my options what choices have I have I got practicing even a much lighter tonality a supportive tonality and you know recovering from not good enough syndrome ultimately comes from a lot of support um, and a lot of reassurance towards yourself so the language is so important because, again, awareness, acceptance, action, become aware of your thinking, practice translating it um, and fake it till you become it. You don't have to wait until you're ready and um, you don't even have to believe it. For me personally, I didn't believe in recovery when I started. It was it was a case of trying to, you know, when my when my own mom who herself is fully recovered and um, when she was teaching me about recovery, I was basically just practicing things just to prove her wrong and now thankfully that worked out well and I was wrong um, and it works so as I said the recovery is very simple and very practical but the fears will try and complicate it so even just kind of look out for your own kind of and the condition thinking kind of popping up saying oh my god Do you really think you're going to be able to do this? And when you start kind of getting hope and excitement, the fact that you can recover from any distress, the condition—it's—it's almost like a bit of a a dog on a leash. If you kind of start kind of resisting and pulling back, it can sometimes its claws can kind of come out, so it can start mocking you. So just, but the more, but if you're aware of that, if you start becoming aware of the bully and you start becoming aware of the Hitler in your head already you're taking its power away it's when it's happening when it's so when you've got this unconscious incompetence it's very dangerous so it's like recovery is like a reflective of kind of the four levels of learning you start off with an unconscious incompetence like that you're not even aware of how harsh you are towards yourself of like how deep the not good enough syndrome um is Hopefully throughout the podcast and throughout the episodes, you know, we, we bring it to a point of awareness where it's more of a kind of conscious incompetence. OK, I have this awareness. I am telling myself I'm not good enough. Then we start kind of practicing the conscious competence. So practically with true different tools um kind of a case of fake it till you make it investing more green thoughts you know writing five pieces of credit for yourself every single day five well dones five things you did well that day five pieces of gratitude you don't even have to believe them in order to do them but just the the practice of commitment and consistency of making a conscious effort to invest green into the subconscious mind it works um, so that's your kind of conscious competency, and and like driving. I recovered first and then I I started driving later and only through learning how to drive do I realize it's pretty much just the recovery um experience. You know, you get excited, you start doing it, you think, oh, my God, why did I do this? I'm going to be crap. And then your instructor's telling you, like, look, don't worry, keep focused and um, keep it simple. Listen to me, trust. And then eventually it's an unconscious thing. It's an unconscious competence. It's a natural flow where you're finally at a stage where you have that belief that you are good enough and your choices and your behaviors reflect that relationship that you have with yourself because that's ultimately what recovery is. Recovery is the discovery of the real you. You, When you're experiencing eating disorder and eating stress, you're not who you think you are. And if you want to know who you are, we look at our values. And another practical tool is just if you want to find out what your values are in order to find out who you really are, You, I often say use the negativity as a navigator. So just even a simple exercise. Think of somebody or some people that wind you up. And on one half of the page, write down all the characteristics about them that really grind your gears. And on the opposite side of the page, write down the opposite of each of those kind of characteristics. And that's where you'll find your values. And on a daily basis, reminding yourself of your values. I mean, how many of you value bullying but how often are we actually bullying ourselves we're bullying our bodies and um, and this is one thing that a lot of people don't want to admit to is that eating distress is we're carrying out conditioned values and um, they're like these hitler values that, those bullying values and they're not our values so if you want to recover it's about learning about your values and ultimately living by them Okay, so to put it simply, because ultimately that's what I want to be um, teaching you throughout the episodes um, with the podcast is keep it simple. Conditioned thinking loves drama and chaos, and um, it's about keeping it simple. The most important thing that I'd like you to take from today's um, from from this episode is that full recovery from an eating distress and eating disorder is possible it is not about how competent you are it is about commitment and consistency and we will go through with each episode different practical tools to um to to put into practice in order to free yourself and you do not have to be ready for this yes it's it's a challenge it's totally worth it it's a case of feeling the fear and do it in any way just even start general journal get curious about your thinking would you speak to your best friend this way and some credits and gratitudes every single evening and in the next episode we'll look at um, more tools to deepen the the freedom from the destruction